Hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians 5. Uh, Last weekend, we started this series called The Dilemma. And last week, we talked on searching for clarity in all of these subjects. And so over the next five weeks, what we're going to do starting this morning is we're really going to talk through all these categories of relationships. And this morning, we're looking at marriage. And specifically, we're going to talk about preparing for marriage. And maybe for you, you're married. What I encouraged you in last weekend was don't check out if it doesn't seem like it fits with you. So if you're already married, you're going, I don't need to hear this. I'm already prepared for marriage. I'm married now. But maybe for some of you, you didn't prepare. And I think there's some some reapplying that we can do in all of these subjects. Even as we get into the subjects of dating later on and singleness, I think there's some things that we can remember. And so if you have a Bible and you haven't turned there yet, go to Ephesians 5. We're going to grab a large chunk of Scripture because here's what I have learned about myself. I am not good at topical teaching. I think there's times where we take topics and we really drive them home. You see Paul really write about topics that are going on in the church, but he drives it right back to the Word. I'm not good at taking parts of the Word and making it apply to me. I I do a lot better if I just submit to God because he's way better than I am, and and then just go from there. And so today, we're going to look at what, what surprisingly seems like a great portion of Scripture to look at preparing for marriage, but yet it's not viewed that way always. Because the next piece of Ephesians 5 talks about marriage. So this is some good building as we look at preparing marriage. But we're not just going to talk about any old marriage. We're going to talk about an intentional, culture-changing, more in love with Jesus than each other kind of marriage. So before we look at the preparation, especially in this dating-obsessed culture, what we need to understand is that what, what research will tell us And research isn't always a great thing, but what research will really tell us is that more than 50% of marriages end in divorce. In in the span of no more than eight years of each marriage, they end in divorce. And this doesn't exclude the church. This is happening in the church. This is happening outside of the church. And so what's obvious is that we face this culture that does not view and does not value marriage the way God designed it, the way God views it, and the way God values it. So we've created this culture and these generations of marriage seekers. It's all about marriage with a kind of a skewed view. We see this throughout media. I mean, it's gone from being marriage-focused to sex-focused. There's all of this content, all this information of going, man, this is what you want. You want to be striving towards the opposite sex. But then you, you see the Christian culture say, we want to strive for purity. But, but somewhere along the lines, purity has been the point of for your future spouse, which is interesting because that, if you look at Scripture and it talks about purity and being separate from the world, it's not about you preparing for your future spouse. It's about you separating yourself from the world and being more in relationship with Christ. And so then we do relationship series like this to try and clarify all the issues and talk about the dilemma. And then we see all these single groups that gather together, and their singleness is really their identity. I'm single. This is what I'm doing. But then there's this huge identity shift. I'm not single anymore. I'm pursuing marriage. I I just got married, and there's this whole identity shift. And so when the pursuit of marriage outweighs the pursuit of God, we have a dilemma because we have created marriage as an idol. And so what happens is we make creation 
more desirable than creator. And so as we look at preparing for marriage, I think we really need to consider the question, have we elevated marriage above the pursuit of God? Have we elevated marriage to this point of, of making it above the pursuit of God? And so before Paul talks about marriage in Ephesians 5, and we'll talk about that next week, he lays out a very clear description of how we are to walk. He says to walk in love. And so we're going to read a lengthy portion of Ephesians 5. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV translation. And if you don't have a Bible, whether with you today or you don't have a Bible at all, there's one at the back over there at the Connection Center, and you can have that, and that'll be our gift to you. And so we're going to start in verse 1 and read clear to verse 21. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you, as is proper among saints." Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or pure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience." Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, For that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So as we look at this passage, as we together whether you are preparing for marriage, you, you're, you're just this morning going, maybe I should start thinking about preparing for marriage. It's been on my mind, maybe I should start. Or maybe for you, it's repairing marriage. Maybe there's an area of repair or an area of waiting. I think in all of these, there's some things that Paul lays out that give us a clear understanding of how we can prepare, repair, and wait with the pursuit of God. Not first the pursuit of one another, but first the pursuit of God. And the first is that we need to learn to be imitators of God. We need to learn to be imitators of God. When Jesus came to this earth, he came to be the perfect example by which we would see everything. 
He became this perfect example, and he came into the flesh to live a life like us, but to reflect God. We see all of these things happening in the New Testament where everyone's kind of living different lives. You have the sinners, you have the religious, and Jesus came to reflect God, to be an imitator of God. And in the very beginning, when God creates Adam, in Genesis chapter 1, the very first book of the Bible, in verse 26, God says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Now see, the theological term for image of God is imago Dei. And I've shared this with you before. There's not going to be a test or some theological seminary afterwards that you're going to have to attend. But I want you to get this word. Because what this, these two words, image and likeness, really reveal is that the idea behind God creating us in his image and his likeness was a desire for us to perfectly be the frame that would hold the shape of God. So we would be reflecting, we would be imitators of God. We wouldn't be God, let's be clear on that, we wouldn't be God, but we would be imitators of God. Because we were never created by God to be built or even dependent upon ourselves. So with that in mind, it causes us to just kind of ask the question, what's shaping our frame? If we were created to to be made after the shape of God, to be imitators of God, we really have to ask that question. In, In today's culture, where we're at right now, what is shaping our frame? What are we allowing in? What is shaping that? Is it God? Or is it a bunch of other things? Is it money? Is it, is it our worry? Is it regret? Is it, is it others? Is it, is it all this other stuff? Is it sexual desire? Is it what's going on in the darkness? What is shaping our frame? See, there's many things that are distracting in this life. There's all of these distractions. And these in of themselves, as, as we look at these plainly, that we don't see these things in of themselves as sin, but when we put these above the place of God, they become our focus and our place of worship. Because of worship is where you are putting all of your attention, all of your time. So for Jesus, when he came and he took on our frame and to reflect the shape of God, he perfectly was allowing God to shape his frame. He was being an imitator of God, which gives us an incredible example then how to live. So Jesus lived like we did. He felt things like we do. He struggled like we do. He was tempted. He laughed with his disciples. He interacted. He even mourned at seeing those that weren't following him. His heart would break for those around him. But he did all of these things. He walked through this life without sin. And at the end of his life, he walked through so intentionally without sin so he could take on all of ours. So as we look to be imitators of God in the pursuit of relationship, our example is Jesus. And Paul even reminded the church in Corinth, he said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so the only way that we can see believers in our lives of going, man, I, I, I want to have a marriage like they have a marriage. I want to have a relationship with God like they have a relationship with God. The way that, and the reason that you can imitate them is because they're imitating Christ. They are faithfully imitating Christ. 
But I think for some of us, we're at this crossroad and we're at this point where we just so badly want relationship. Whether you desire a relationship and you don't have it or you're in the midst of your marriage and it's not going well, I think we're at this point where we just desire, man, God, would you just give this to me? And I remember pulling over to the side of the road. I was just so overcome by emotion. I was going through a really hard season in my life. And just to be vulnerable with you, church, I had to pull over because I couldn't see. The tears and the snot and everything pouring down, I just couldn't see. And I just began to cry out to God. And I didn't petition any scripture or anything. Just the question, God, please give me a woman. I was so lonely at this point in my life. I was just ready to just tell God, just do it. Just give me a woman. And I was just sitting there for not just minutes, but sat there for almost an hour. And I just remember God perfectly and gently speaking to me years ago and said, I will not give you a woman until you don't need one anymore. That was the most wonderful, difficult, mean, and loving thing God could have ever done for me. Because over, what that meant was over the next two years, I learned to be a man of God. I continually grew. I was learning to pursue God, not try to pursue what I wanted, but what he wanted. Even if in the middle of that, that meant, okay, my, my time is up. I'm going to live the single life. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to do what I want to do. It was a whole shift in priorities. See, that's what it takes to be imitators of God, whether you are preparing for marriage or you are in marriage that needs some reworking. We need to be imitators of God. C.S. Lewis wrote something wonderful that I think clarifies this, being imitators of God. He wrote this and he said, To love you as I should... I must worship God as creator. He's writing this to his fiancée, and he says, When I have learned to love God better than my earthly desires, I shall love my earthly desires better than I do now. In so far as I learn to love my earthly desires at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly desires at all. So catch this. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. They're not suppressed, but increased. So to be imitators of God, we need a shift in our priorities of really allowing God to be the shape in which we are molding ourselves to. Asking him to take our frame and just say, fill it with you. So what's shaping your frame? What are you imitating and how is that affecting you? What are you allowing in? What's shaping your frame? The second thing we need to learn is is to learn to walk in light. Paul uses this term constantly throughout the New Testament and many of the other New Testament writers use it, especially John, first in his gospel and then in 1 John he opens up by talking about walking in light. There's a big difference between walking in light and walking in darkness because walking in darkness means having a desire for the world, which is void of Christ. It means desiring all the things that make you feel better of your fleshly level. 
But walking in light means desires for God. That your desires for God, which is a void of self. That we would have a void of self. And so let me give you an example of how this plays out. That means how you approach everything is based on bringing glory to God. Based on bringing glory to God. So whether it's alcohol or food or sex or friends, relationships, because there's a difference between how the believer approaches these things and how the non-believer approaches these things. And so there's a difference if I am to grill up a steak and enjoy it and then have a great conversation with my wife, have sex with my wife, we go to bed, there's a different approach in how I'm seeing all of that and how the non-believer sees that. Because I see all of that as a gift from God and an opportunity to bring him glory. The steak on the grill, God, thank you for the breath that I breathe, for the smell that you've given me to, to inhale that good steak I'm about to consume. Thank you for the woman you've put in my life that you would not give me years ago. For the woman you gave me because you wanted me to be the man of God that she needed. So you wanted to prepare me before I demand her. This is an opportunity to bring glory to God. But the non-believer doesn't see it this way. I think sometimes we struggle as believers to see it this way. And when we do, we have a skewed version of how we approach everything. And so when we see everything in light of an opportunity to bring glory to God, then the question is, if it brings glory to God, then yes. But if it doesn't bring glory to God, then no. And so we see this. If all things are through God, and it says in Romans eleven thirty six, Paul says, For from him and through him and to him are all things, not some things, not your list of things, all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And then Paul continues in the next two verses of the next chapter. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So for you and I to effectively walk in light, we need to be considering that in every moment. Does this bring glory to God? No? Okay, I need to remove myself. Because I think what tends to happen then is there, there tends to be some things that creep up, just some shadows that begin to create. And that's not darkness in our eyes, but there's some shadowing going on. And so we just kind of believe that we're walking in light, but we're really kind of dabbling in some darkness there. And some shadows come up. But, but let me just remind you, are you going to struggle in this? Yes. Because you're not perfect. You're not a perfect imitator. Christ is. So we'll never be the perfect imitator, but we can be a faithful imitator of God through Christ. And so this is a process. Walking in light is the process of transformation in your life. Does it bring glory to God? Then don't pursue it. Does it bring glory to God? Yes, pursue it. I think sometimes we just think, we, we overcomplicate all these things when really that's the question. Is, is this bringing glory to God? No, I need to not do this. I did not pursue this. I need to not pursue this relationship. 
I'm going to tell you more about that in a couple weeks, but I'm not going to tell you right now. I'm going to leave you on that cliffhanger. The third and final thing that we need to learn is to be submitted. We need to learn to be submitted. The last verse of what Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 21 is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. So guys, those of you that aren't married, or actually all of you, all of you guys, let me just remind you that no woman wants to be submitted to a man who isn't willing to submit to God. No woman wants to be in submission to a man who isn't willing to be in submission to God. So men, let me just tell you this. Bank everything you have on Christ. Everything that you are on Christ. And you single guys or you young guys, here's my challenge to you. Sell all your stuff. Sell your video games, sell your toys, your wasted resources, and dedicate yourself to the church. And I'm not talking just to set up teardown team. I think you need to be rubbing shoulders with people, but sell your useless stuff and get real. Be real about what God's called you to. Ask yourself some really honest, hard questions. And don't just, don't just respond with, this is what I think I should do. Really wait on the Lord. Really wait on the Lord, because in a moment where I could have gone out somewhere and tried to seek the next person in my life, I had to ask myself a hard question. Am I willing to let go of my loneliness to pursue my creator? So ask yourself some really hard questions. Ask yourself some really good, honest questions, and find some godly men around you to help ask those questions, because I think sometimes it's hard to be honest with ourselves. So find some other godly men who can help you. And then really ask yourself in that first question, if you need one, am I really a servant? Am I sacrificially serving the body? Am I sacrificially serving the body? Because I'll be honest with you, I don't see it. I don't see it. I see some people attending. I see some people showing up. Guys, I I see this in in our gatherings. But here's the problem. We have way too many young men going to bed with energy. This is what blows my mind. We have so many, this is a tangent, so forgive me, but we have so many men going to bed with energy for whatever reason. God made you to be tired, okay? Let's just understand that. When God creates Adam, when God creates the world, before he creates man, he didn't put a day of rest in there for him, okay? He's God. He don't need it, but you need it. Okay? So when you look at that, you need to be intentional to just going, oh, I, I got to do better in that. Be intentional. No woman wants to be in submission to a man who isn't willing to step up. So step up. You need to be submitted. You need to be submitted to the church. You need to be submitted to godly men who are following God. So you can imitate them because they're imitating Christ. Okay? So you need to be a servant and ask yourself, am I Am I sacrificially serving the church? And ladies, learn to make Jesus your standard. Because often you have a wacky standard. And I think what's really dangerous is when you start submitting yourself to the idea of the perfect man, the perfect husband, with a guy that doesn't follow Jesus and doesn't have the heart of Jesus. Be careful with that. It's dangerous. That is toxic, uneven ground. So be careful with that. 
And I think you need to also ask yourself some hard, honest questions. And as we talked about last week, learn to be sober-minded. Are you approaching things with your emotions? Are you approaching things with your heart? Are you approaching things being sober-minded? Be honest with yourself about some of these things. And be submitted. It's all about the pursuit of Christ. So learn to make Jesus your standard. Because one of the greatest things we see from Jesus for all of us, when it comes to being submitted, when it comes to seeking the will of God, the plan of God, we see Jesus in the last moment of his earthly life in Matthew 26. We see Jesus kneel and cry out to God, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I think we need to have that prayer. But here's what we need to understand. Jesus was so submitted. He was so available to God. He wasn't even worried about his, the pain of death. Like there was probably a peace in there, but the anxiety is that he had never been at a point of separation from God. This is the first point that Jesus, through the will of the Father, chose to be separated for you so that you wouldn't have to be anymore. So we need to ask ourselves some honest, hard questions. Because here's the thing that I don't think we think about enough. How you live today will determine what kind of marriage material you are tomorrow. What kind of home you will lead tomorrow. So ask yourself, how am I living today? Am I allowing some of these shadows in? Am I allowing some other things to shape me? Guys, bank everything on Christ. Everything on Christ. Ask yourself, is this glorifying God? No, then get out of whatever is not glorifying God. Ladies, learn to make Jesus your standard. Don't even hold your husband to a standard that is, that is earthly unreasonable. Make Jesus your standard. Make Jesus your standard. From that will flow a grace you've never experienced, an intention you've never known. Bank all things on Christ. Make him your standard. We need to consider these things. So whether we are preparing for marriage or realigning our marriage or even waiting on marriage, it all has to begin with being submitted to Christ. Being submitted to Christ. Let's pray.